Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Dr. Hannah Sassy is a virologist from the University of Sydney who studies the persistence of viruses in the environment. She's also an ocean swimmer who swims with Bondi Fit. Right now, many swimmers around the world are wondering whether it's okay to go for a swim during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, at the time of recording, a lot of the world is in lockdown or headed towards it, and a lot of beaches are closed. So some of this podcast is a moot point, and I wouldn't normally skip to the punchline of a podcast in the introduction, but for this I will. Right now, if you want to go for a swim, pretty much don't. In a public pool, don't go. In an ocean pool, don't go. If your lockdown laws allow you and your beach isn't closed, going for a swim at the beach is your best bet but only if you take social distancing very seriously. Now, if your beach is closed, like a lot of Sydney beaches are at the moment, don't be a dick, don't go. Have a listen to what Hannah had to say about this. We started by going right back to the beginning. What is a virus? at the very beginning, a virus is an organism, and we call them obligate cellular parasites, intracellular parasites. So they can't replicate um, outside of a host cell. So whereas bacteria can grow in the environment. So if, you know, E. coli is a huge waterborne bacteria, we use it as a water quality indicator. And so if there's bacteria in natural waterways, there has been a lot of research showing that these E. coli or um, other uh, same type of bacteria, we call them coliforms, and they're an indicator group that we use for water quality, drinking water quality, recreational water quality, um, surface water quality. And so they're associated with the human gut. So they're in turn associated with fecal contamination. So these bacteria can actually grow in the environment and so you can have, you know, a, a fecal contamination event with 10 bacteria, but by the end, you know, you could end up with 10,000. So, cause they can continue to grow. Whereas viruses can't grow without a host cell. So if you have 10 viruses somewhere, they're just going to stay there until they either um, are inactivated or enter a host. Okay. And so viruses aren't free living either. So there's a huge debate between microbiologists if viruses are actually an organism because they're not technically alive. But um, we get we get a lot of crap from other microbiologists. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 typically, if you let's say you had a pool or an ocean and you left it alone for however long, and I guess we'll talk about how long they survive in the environment. But let's say we leave it alone for a week. There, there could be plenty of bacteria there, especially if there's uh, fecal matter, sewage discharge or whatever, but viruses aren't living there typically. Yeah, so that there could be if there was a sewage discharge um, because there's a lot of viruses that survive wastewater treatment. Um, and so that that's, you know, a whole other rabbit hole to go down is wastewater treatment. But, um, but so the viruses will just likely remain stable 
where, I mean, so this is the perfect virus. This virus that we're talking about can, you know, do it all. So in theory, the virus would remain stable and you would have the same amount of virus. You would never have an increase, whereas bacteria, you could have an increase depending on the environmental conditions, if there's the nutrients present that it likes, if it's the right temperature, all of that. So the virus would just, you know, you'd have the same amount of virus until it starts to inactivate or until someone comes into contact with it and it enters their body. And so how long does it take a virus to inactivate if it's just floating around in water, say fresh water? Um, they can, so that really depends on the virus. So there's two broader types of virus. There's an enveloped virus and a non-enveloped virus. So envelope, so it, it's the exact, exact opposite of what you would think. You would think an enveloped virus sounds more protected and it would survive longer, but actually enveloped viruses are much weaker and non-enveloped viruses um, can persist much longer in the environment. And so that's just a structural thing, um, a structural feature. So um, a non-enveloped virus can, so say norovirus, um, which I'm sure most people have heard of. Norovirus is a non-enveloped virus, whereas um, influenza or even the coronavirus, coronavirus is an enveloped virus. So norovirus can persist in water for anywhere from hours to days, depending on the type of water and the temperature, the pH, if there's chlorine, all of that stuff. Um, whereas just based off of their structure themselves, an influenza virus likely wouldn't persist as long. So that is one positive of the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> But it persists quite a long time on, I mean, I've read things that it can survive for three days on stainless steel and uh, maybe even longer on gl on glass. So it, so it can hang around for quite some time. Yes, it can. And so um, so there's a lot of coronaviruses. So this is this COVID-19 is just one strain. And so um, coronaviruses, people get regularly. Um, they're, you know, they're just a common cold usually. This one is not, but other coronaviruses that you would experience, you know, in your day-to-day. -day. And so research has been done on those where they can survive up to nine days on some surfaces. So I think right now the conservative advice is to assume that COVID-19 can survive up to nine days, even though, you know, the research that we've seen with COVID-19 specifically hasn't shown that. But um, a lot of people are just erring on the side of caution, I guess. That that makes a lot of sense. And so, in a in a pool situation with chlorine, does what does chlorine do to the virus? Would a would a typical public pool uh, kill the virus or prevent its uh, prevent a long existence? Um, yeah. So it should, in theory, um, a lot like as long as the swimming pool has its is following standards and has the amount, the designated amount of chlorine. So each, you know, say, say we're talking about um, Victoria Park pool. It's a publicly owned, publicly owned operated pool. That would be a really safe place to go water wise because they have these standards where they have to take measurements of the chlorine and the pH every so often. Um, 
and they have usually automatic detection systems with the pumps in the pool where it will read, you know, the chlorine level has lowered either because there's been a huge people getting into the pool or, you know, a dust storm or something has pushed a lot of organic matter into the pool. And so it will start to automatically inject more chlorine or ozone or bromine, you know, whatever they're using to disinfect the pool. And so that, that should inactivate the virus within a minute. Um, but the real problem in a swimming pool is when you're swimming with someone else and you're breathing hard and you're exhaling and you're creating droplets and aerosols. And if that somehow you come in contact with someone else's or they come in contact with yours. And that's where that transmission risk lies. It's not so much the water itself, but rather people in the water. Okay, that's interesting. So I was I was sort of wondering if, you know, if, if it'd have to be a, a really convoluted scenario, but yes, somebody could, you know, everybody <laughs> drinks water when they go, you know, water goes in your mouth, yeah. water goes all over oh, yeah. you. Um, so it seems unlikely then that the virus would get you that way. But if you swam past someone in a lane, you're both breathing or you're both at the end of the pool, that's the risk. So it's much like when you're just talking to somebody, you've got to stay a meter and a half away from them, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and one of the reasons is because so far there's not any evidence that the coronavirus is transmissible, transmissible in water. And so, um, unfortunately, water research is kind of last priority when it comes to massive pandemics. But there, there is some going on, like they're, they found coronavirus in wastewater. So we know people are treating it and it's going into the wastewater stream. And so um, but there's still no evidence of the fecal oral route, which is most commonly associated with water um, transmission. Okay. Um, and I guess if we're talking a public pool, there's the, the speaking to each other, that close proximity to people. But I guess the biggest danger, the biggest danger with anything, I guess, is is just common things that you touch, the change rooms, the, you know, just, just being in common areas with other people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, breathing hard, you could breathe hard on something and if you have it, you're excreting it in your saliva, you know, if you spit or sneeze or cough or whatever, or even if you do it onto your hand and touch something, you know, a lot of people after you swim, you cough, you you said you've swallowed a lot of water and you don't, you don't know you're sick. And then you cough, cover it with your mouth and you say, oh no, 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 you know, it's just because I swallowed a bunch of water, I'm fine. But there could be virus in that. And then you're going around to the change room, you're touching the door handle, you're touching the locker, if you have a locker, the shower head, the sink handle, the soap dispenser, all of that. And if you are shedding virus or you have it on your hands, you're spreading it all around. And vice versa, if it's on that, you could get it. And so I would say, well, I mean, change rooms at pools are not the greatest to begin with. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm right. I'm sure yeah. you know well. Yeah. Um so that would be a very hot, like a very hot point, I would say. Does it, can you transmit it through sweat? It hasn't been um, shown that people are excreting it in sweat. And so it makes sense because that's a whole different system of your body, right? So um, 
you have your respiratory tract and then you have your gastro and then you have like your adrenal um, and like all those glands that are creating hormones and you're sweating and all of that. So it makes sense that they're different sections, if that makes sense, of the body. So there hasn't been any evidence that it's transmitted in sweat. Okay. Or even uh, excreted. And and what about ocean pools? So they they won't be necessarily, or even just the ocean itself. That that's not chlorinated, but it is full of salt. It's full of other stuff, all sorts of stuff. But what do you think about going to the beach or going to ocean pools right now? That's a little trickier because viruses can they can persist in salt water, which we know from mostly um, gastro viruses. But again, those are much sturdier, much hardier viruses. I think the main draw with the ocean is that it's that like pollution is a solution theory. So if there's one person for every two meters and one of those people is sick and they cough it into the ocean, well, that's maybe 0.01 milliliters into how many, you know, hundreds and thousands of liters in the ocean. So that is, you know, one thing. And there hasn't been any evidence yet that, you know, you can get it in the in the ocean or that it will spread in the ocean or that it will survive. And so, again, that's just kind of one of the last things that people will probably look at. But it's not an ideal environment for the virus. So if we're being really conservative, you'd say the beach might be okay as long as there's no one else around. Yeah, definitely. And so there's still surfers in here at Marubra. And it's it's really funny walking down the beach and seeing them because they're all spaced. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not clumped together. So I think a lot of people are taking mind of that. Uh, ocean pools, I think, are a little different because it's a set amount of water. And if it's low tide, you know, the pool's not going to be getting refilled. It's not going to be getting cycled out in fresh water and people are much closer because there's only so much pool. Yep. And breathing deeply. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and also there's going to be people who are just sitting there lounging and there's going to be people who are swimming laps. Um, and you know, how many times have you had to swerve past someone floating around when you are swimming in the ocean pool? So it just creates a lot more contact potential and close contact potential. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you, you, you know, you, we could easily say, oh, well, don't touch anything. But, of course, you touch the walls when you get into the pool. Like, maybe you don't touch anything, but you, but you still touch the walls when you get into the pool. You probably touch the, the railings. And if mm-hmm. uh, it's not chlorinated, it's it's not a disinfected environment. It, it could exactly. easily be persisting. So maybe ocean pools are, yeah, even not touching anything, it's, it's still probably not really okay. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, one good thing about ocean pools is that it does have high sun exposure and so that helps to inactivate viruses as well if the uv from the sun um but you know other than that i'd say i'd say ocean pools would be the riskiest riskiest of them and then then swimming pools and then the ocean and then just the open ocean yeah Mom, on this planet, 
instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment. So what exercise should we do? I went for a run the other day and I thought, this is great. There are actually a lot of people out because I think it's about the last thing you can do. Um, and uh, I had a drink at a bubbler and then afterwards I thought, oh, I don't know about that. That, that might not have been the greatest idea because it's a, it's a public thing. People would have touched it, made out of stainless steel. Um, yeah. What, what should we do? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, definitely keep running. And if you can, like, I would say, I would recommend like swimming, you know, the length of the bay somewhere if you want to swim in the ocean, um, you know, like Murbra swim down the length of the bay. Could you same thing? Probably use a couple apps. Could you? It's so small, um, <laughs> but can just as long as you're a safe distance away from people, um, it should be fine. So we like been doing yoga like our yoga studios live streaming classes you can do them in your home um pilates is doing the same thing um just going on little runs and staying away from people is the most thing like the most important thing i think because um, people around here are still running and walking their dogs and surfing but everyone's just keeping their distance which is all you can really do and then as far as you're saying you went and got a drink you know at the bubbler and touched it and all that which is you're you're obviously aware that you did that so i'm sure you came home and washed your hands yeah 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 so like you can't stop doing everything altogether. like you would probably lose your mind um but just minimizing any sort of contact that you could potentially have with the virus in the environment and from other people about you where, where do you like to swim um so i love so i have a long bus commute to get from rubra to the university so what i like to do is just swim at victoria park first thing in the morning when i get there um it's because it's right behind my building um so i swim there i swim um at an ocean swim squad called bondi fit in bond north bondi um, and I, you know, I didn't do that as much this summer as I did last summer, but I don't think we had as nice of a summer. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't as enticing to go spend a Thursday evening in Bondi. <laughs> um, but then obviously I live in Marubra and so we swim at Mahan, which is the ocean pool. And then I'm a little too scared to swim the bay because there was a great white last winter or last summer. <laughs> so like a really big one. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> I, I did the Maruba swim uh, a couple of years ago, and maybe this was the same the same thing you're thinking of. They they delayed it for hours because a shark was spotted out the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then that yes, I still did I just it. Can't get I... it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... yes, it is a problem. <laughs> How does a virologist, if I'm saying that correctly, work online? Um, so I am 
helping my students mostly. I have a three uh, PhD students that I help supervise. So I'm doing that. And I'm writing papers. We're doing a quantitative microbial risk assessment for the transmission or the release of viruses from sediment into the waterway. Um, and so mostly looking at that on how it could impact recreation exposures in fresh water, so like in swimming lakes and rivers and um, irrigation water. So okay. for fresh produce mostly. Okay. So yeah, just changing things up and looking desktop instead of lab bench. But, you know, every, it might, might be nice to do this for a little while and then I'll be aching to get back into the lab so <laughs> yeah well yeah finish off the papers publish or perish i guess this i guess now's the time yeah yeah and it's it's grant writing season too so i guess i could try and do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, uh, this this question will come out all wrong so i'm sure i will edit it but uh <laughs> in, in the in the virus world this is obviously a really bad occurrence there's the COVID-19 version of coronavirus is what other dangers are there? I guess if, if this had a higher fatality rate, that would be, it would be even worse. Is there anything worse to come? I mean, I think if you think about it, it's been about a hundred years since we had the Spanish influenza and then about a hundred years since the black plague. And so it's, I, it seems like it's cyclical with stuff. And so one big driver for the coronavirus explosion. So we not just COVID-19, but we also had SARS and MERS, and those are all coronaviruses, um, is this one health theory, which is basically, you know, the health of humans depends on the health of animals, which depends on the health of the environment. So everything is interconnected. And so this COVID-19 and SARS were thought to come from bats. And so, and I think MERS too. And so with this outbreak specifically, it was, you know, wild bats coming into a city, into an animal and fish market. And so normally humans aren't going to have close contact with bats. You know, you see them, they fly over you, but you would never be up close with a bat. Bats aren't going to be in contact with other mammals usually you know they're basically the only flying mammal <laughs> so um it's all unnatural it's not a normal occurrence and so this this has happened before too with Nipah virus which was an outbreak you know maybe at the start of the 2000s-ish but that came was thought to come from pigs and the pigs um were being pushed further and further into the jungly, like very heavily treed area because, you know, human expansion on villages and towns and cities. And so these pigs were coming into contact, domesticated pigs were coming into contact with wild bats and it was thought that that was how it transmitted. And then humans, of course, slaughtering and um, the husbandry of raising pigs. So all of these new new exposures, um, it could be anything, you know, it could, we could have even completely unrecognized viruses, you know, at least we know this was a coronavirus and we were able to establish that pretty early on. 
Um, coronaviruses are quite distinct, which I'm sure by now everyone has seen a picture of what a coronavirus looks like. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're quite distinct. But when Ebola emerged, you know, scientists had no idea what it was, no clue. It was one of the first filamentous viruses that had been found, um, certainly one of the worst. So as long as humans are, you know, pushing into wild habitats and wild animals, and there's always this possibility. And especially now with how easy it is to get from one end of the world to the other and how often people do it and how many people do it, it's, you know, it, it could lead to a pandemic much more easily. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, that these things evolved in their own little evolutionary niches and then another one pushes into it. I mean, viruses don't, it doesn't help, not that they're alive, but it, it doesn't help them to kill us because then they can't be transmitted. So yeah, you, know, you take one niche and merge it with another one and bad stuff's going to happen. It, it, kind exactly. of, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and so like you said, viruses, they don't want to kill us to start because they need us. So they'll just push us to, you know, excrete more virus, more virus. So that's why when you have a gastrovirus, you have diarrhea and you're vomiting because the reaction of your body is to get rid of the virus, but the virus is replicating and replicating. And so then symptoms are releasing the virus. So, um, how interesting is that? I, like, I mean, it, I guess that's kind of obvious when you think of it like that, but I hadn't really thought of it like that. I mean, that, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, same, you know, like if you're asymptomatic, you know, that's another thing. So the virus is still in you and it's still replicating and you're still excreting it, but you're not showing any symptoms, which means that you could potentially pass it to other people much more efficiently because you don't know you're sick yourself rather than someone who knows they're sick. They would, they're feeling awful. They'd stay home. They'd stay in bed away from others. So that's one of the COVID problems that we're having is a lot of people are asymptomatic. And so they're spreading the virus. They have no idea. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a horrible mixture of, of everything, isn't it? So what, what, yeah. why does it actually need a, a living body? What does it get out of a living body that it can't get out of the environment? So the virus replication cycle is a little complicated and of course it's different for every um every organism so it doesn't have a metabolism it can't take in nutrients and create anything basically from a nutrient like a bacteria or a parasite or you know you and i is that the biggest reason why we don't call it alive like it's not a life form yeah yeah so that's one reason um it also like I mean, that, I would say that's the main reason why most people don't consider it to be its own life form. Um, but it also sometimes will hijack, you know, your own or like whatever host cell, it will hijack the um, like mRNA and stuff that's used to build a new set of DNA or RNA, a new genome, basically. So sometimes viruses like most of the time viruses can't do that on their own. So they go into the cell and hijack whatever machinery they need, you know, cellular machinery, of course, they need to synthesize a new genome. And so, because viruses are very small, 
And so the less they have, the better it is for them. As a metaphor, it's much easier for you to carry a backpack than to carry everything you own, you know, if you're going to your friend's house or something. So the same for living organisms. They keep it as an as-needed basis. And so bacteria will get rid of, you know, proteins or genes that they're not using. Some, I mean, some can. And so if they're living in the lab for however long, they'll likely get rid of some proteins that they needed in the environment that they don't need anymore. Okay. So, yeah, so viruses basically keep it simple, <laughs> I guess, in like, you know, an, an easy way to say it, but they don't have a metabolism and they don't have everything they need to, you know, uncoat their genome and create a new one. Right. Okay. So, yeah, they, they get into... They, they get into the animal and then use the animal's mechanisms to reproduce. So kind of hijack the factory. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, can plants have viruses? Yes. Yeah. So there is a virus for just about every living thing. Um, plants, bacteria have their own viruses called bacteriophage. Wow. Um, and so also, you know, animals, humans, Everything, fungi have viruses, cyanobacteria, so algae, algae has viruses. Um, they're everywhere. I think there's only one organism, it's like a, maybe a yeast, um, doesn't have a discovered virus yet. Right. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, they're the most abundant organisms by far. Okay. That's so interesting. And so a computer virus is actually a pretty good analog, really. <laughs> It, yes. Simple little bits of code that then uses the computer's machinery to spread itself around. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think mostly what's just important with any viral disease if you get it or if you, someone has it is just staying away and also it's very important that people know that antibiotics are not <laughs> yes that that is a huge thing that it's just like a common misconception you know people it, I mean it's not it's not people's fault they think oh I was sick last time and I got antibiotics I need antibiotics this time but um but yeah, in the the COVID nineteen, I mean, I think it's just really important to take it seriously. And um, as we've seen, it's not, you know, it's not just a cold or it's not just a short term thing. It's sticking around, um, and just keeping your distance and maintaining proper hand hygiene is just really important right now. I mean, we know that so far it can't be introduced in water and or food, so because it's not. Um, it's not any, it hasn't been any cases where people have gotten it from food or water, but we do also know that some patients present first with diarrhea and then a few days later they'll have respiratory symptoms. So that leaves the possibility open. You know, if you're swimming with someone and they just had diarrhea and they might have COVID, so then they could actually be releasing it into the water. Of so, course, yeah. Yeah, so just to take, you know, the distancing really seriously is really important right now. I actually remembered one, one question I wanted to ask you. My parents 
their neighbor claims that his doctor said he was immune to COVID-19 because he has been on malaria treatment for some time. And I've heard this around the place that malaria drugs might uh, help, but it sounds like, I mean, there's something promising there, but also uh, it sounds like we've got some spread of fake news as well. Yeah, I think that is probably a bit more of a fake news thing. Um, So there hasn't, there's been, um, so there's been some test treatments with hydroxychloroquine, which is, I think quinine is the malaria treatment, um, like the active in that. So I think they're somehow in that same group of treatment, but it hasn't really been shown that it actually works. You know, um, there's been some treatments. There was a, a published paper with a, you know, a case cohort of six, maybe. You know, so not a lot of people in this study that were given some treatments. And, you know, the results are still unclear. But I wouldn't say anyone's immune to coronavirus unless they had already had this strain of coronavirus. Um, and because we don't know, we actually we still don't know how your body responds to it. So we don't know what type of immune response is created in your body or how long it lasts. Um, SARS and MERS last about it, lasted only about a year. So if this continues to go on, people who've already had it could potentially get it again if it's, you know, if their antibodies have um, lowered. Right. So it's more that the antibodies will have lowered after time as opposed to the virus um, mutating itself? Yeah. So I don't think there's been any evidence yet of this virus mutating. And so I think a lot of people were worried about that. Like influenza, um, it can reshuffle its genome and, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's such an interesting virus, but there hasn't been any evidence yet that coronavirus can do that. Okay. That's one plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's probably not out of the question, I guess, because it's quite, I mean, it, I, don't, I, don't, I know that the time, time scales with virology uh, can be different, but it's still early days, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we, you know, the, the virus is sequenced really quickly, which is good, but then we need to work out, you know, how can we make more of it so we can study it in a lab and all of that. So I think that's just being done now. And, you know, we have the, the qPCR for, the um, diagnostic, which is good, but we still don't have a serology diagnostic, you know, which was is how you test an antibody response. So that's going to take a lot of time. Um, and then, you know, we're still at least a year, a year and a half away from a potential vaccine being um, released. So it is early days, definitely. Wow. Well, hopefully that doesn't mean a year of of lockdown but i mean that's it's a it's a yeah. it, it's not out of the realms of possibility is it no so we actually got an email um from some research done at university of sydney in um the engineering department where they did some modeling and they were saying that basically 80 percent of the entire australian population needs to practice social distancing like the two meters apart staying home all of that and in order to reduce the spread um it would still take three months so if 80% of the population is adhering, it would take three months. If And then they also said if 90% um, adopted it, then it could potentially be controlled by July. But as it stands now, we're nowhere near that. 
Yeah, I actually saw that paper, and and so and oh, I saw the write up in the ABC, and there was a there's some turning point between seventy and eighty percent, wasn't there? Because seventy percent, we weren't getting yeah. better. At yeah. Eighty percent, there was at least a horizon. Yeah. So hopefully uh, that will be taken seriously, um, and it it'll suck, but it'll be better than. Than you know, more it. people dying, getting sick, this being just, you know, a lasting, lingering thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much to Dr. Hannah Sassy for taking the time to take us through the risks of swimming at the moment during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like any more information on what she had to say, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.com. That's www.thepodpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in touch. I'll be at home. I'm homeschooling two kids, trying to hold down a full-time job. But where else am I going? Everybody stay safe, practice appropriate social distancing, adhere to your local lockdown rules, and I'll catch you next time on The Pod.